Well, that's exciting, isn't it? I'm excited. I don't know about you. I, uh, if nothing else, I might get a sledgehammer, uh, get to go in, smash some stuff up, you know. Uh, that's, that can be a fun time. Building stuff is fun, isn't it? I remember as a child just being able to go to my room and build all sorts of things with Legos or Lincoln Logs or uh, these erector sets. It was, uh, it was amazing. I love building stuff. And uh, it's good as a church that we get to come together and build stuff together. Uh, but really, hopefully, I know it's the desire of the elders and me and certainly of Jesus himself. Uh, that uh, while we build our stuff, uh, we build us, right? Uh, that we're, we're about building our faith, uh, that we're about making that, uh, that faithfulness, that commitment in Jesus uh, a little stronger, a little bigger, a little wider. And we want that not just for ourselves, but for our community, right? 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 Yeah, and so we, we do things like this. Uh, we do things like this where we build buildings and we put new carpet in and we tear down some walls and put up other walls uh, so that we can uh, not just build buildings but build people. That's what this mission is really all about. Uh, is uh, not about bricks and mortar. It's really about people. That we would be the people of God. Uh, that we would be building, right? Right? Uh, while we're right here. Okay, are you guys ready for the sermon to start now? All right. <laughs> wow, you're clapping already. <laughs> Letters from heaven. Jesus is talking to, to these seven churches, and, and as we've looked at these churches, we recognize that these churches are like our church. But Jesus isn't just talking to, to seven churches that were long ago and far away. He's talking to churches today, to you and me, to people who, who have said as a community of followers of Jesus, we, we're, we're together in this, moving forward to, to be the church. In the very first week, we saw the city of Ephesus and, and we said, hey, we, we have to keep things centered in Jesus Centered in Christ, that was the message. We can't forsake this first love, that Christ is central, that we have to love God. That if we don't get this part right, we, we got it wrong. We have to love God. And then we can love people, but we, we can't miss that peace, that Christ is central. Last week, we, we came together. We looked at another church. This church in in Smyrna, and we just began to say together, hey, look, good churches are committed without compromise, and they recognize that when they're committed without compromise, there may be times where it leads to discomfort. And we are willing to accept the discomfort in order to be a church that is committed to Jesus. Now this morning... This morning we move into to a church in a city called Pergamum. Everybody say Pergamum. Good job, good job. You can go home, tell everybody now. We're going to move into the city of Pergamum. And, and I want to help you see this from a, 
a ground level. I want you to hear it from someone who was there in the city of Pergamum. I want you to hear the identity struggle that took place for, uh, for people that were in the city of Pergamum. And I want you to be challenged. I want you to wrestle in the mirror with your own identity, with your own sense of conviction and commitment of what it means to be identified in Christ, of what it means to look like and act like a Christian. Who is it that these Christians really are? Who is it that we really are? And you'll have an opportunity this morning to to take a long look and figure out where your identity lies. But I want you to hear that from someone who is there. My name is Antipas. It means strong and powerful one. At least that's what my parents told me. Growing up, I lived in the city of Ephesus. When I was 10 years old, we moved to Pergamum. My parents kept telling me all about my name. All about why we moved from Ephesus to Pergamum. Ephesus, well, it was more well known, but Pergamum... Pergamum was the power of Rome. And my name was powerful. At least that's what they told me. My name came from Herod Antipas. This great ruler... You might recognize him because you have read about him in your Gospels. He was the Herod of Jesus' ministry. I was to embody all that was Rome. I was to identify with the power and the might of Rome. My parents had raised me well to try and be the personification of Rome itself. I mean, growing up as a a 10-year-old kid, I was sure that I one day was going to be the emperor. It was going to be glorious. My dad, he had the best handcrafted idol-making business in the region. Nobody made idols like my dad. I mean, he would make sure that everyone was so well done that you couldn't hardly resist put it on your shelf. That you came by and wanted it on your mantle, in your room, under your bed. And for that kind of business, you didn't go anywhere else but Pergamum. Pergamum was the place to go. If you have ever been there, you know that uh, Pergamum kind of sits in this valley, but then there is this mountain that, that, that just 
crops up almost out of nowhere, a thousand feet above the valley below. And on top, on top of the mountain, there are all sorts of shrines and temples. I mean, there were temples to the emperors so that people could come and pay their homage to the emperor. Uh, There were temples uh, to the great gods of all of Greece and Rome. There was a large temple, one of the largest in the world, to, to Zeus, the magnificent god of the Greeks. There was a, a temple to, to the goddess Athena, the goddess of war and wisdom. There was a temple to Dionysius. He was the God of wine and fruitfulness. And there was Asclepius, the God of healing. And people would go and sacrifice before Asclepius. And, and anytime someone came to be healed, they, they would sacrifice again. If you were going to be in my dad's kind of business, Pergamum was the place. And if you wanted to know about the power and the might of Rome, there was no better place to grow up. I mean, there was festivals going on all over the place. Every week it seemed like you, all you had to do was, was climb the great mountain and there was a festival to some god going on. There was, uh, there was all sorts of things. There would be meat sacrificed to idols. And in idol-making business, if all I had to do was follow dad around to get the best steak. You know what I mean? I mean, it was marinated and cooked just right. I wanted to just follow in his footsteps just so that I could eat all the meat I wanted. I could have power. I could have might. I could embody what it was to be the powerful one. And with all of this going on, all of this that would happen on the mountain, I remember later on thinking of what the Christians would say about what went on on the mountain. They would say, That's where Satan has his throne. His center of power is right there. And everything that opposes God. I wanted to embody. I wanted to identify myself with all that was Rome. And I got my chance. You see... If you have a dad that's in the idol-making business, he's got connections, you know? I mean, he knows people. He's got this network. And being the one who wanted to build things, to have the power, well, he made sure I got the best apprenticeship. I wanted to be an engineer. I, I wanted to, to make great temples. I wanted everyone to know who I was, and so I, I got to sit under one of the greatest engineers in our region. And after the apprenticeship was over, I had enough connections at the time that, 
the people of Pergamum were going to let me build their new grand library. And not only would I get the library, I would be responsible for filling it with all the scrolls of the knowledge and wisdom that the world could offer. You know why I wanted all of this? Because if you're in Pergamum, and you're a Roman, and you can identify yourself enough with the power of Rome and the people of Pergamum, they will give you a white stone. Some people would call it a terrassa. It was like the golden ticket, you might say. And you would have your name written on the white stone, and they would give it to you. And that meant I could go anywhere. I could do anything I could go to any of the entertainment events I wanted. You know that tough ticket that you can't get? Oh, I know some of you tried to get to the Garth Brooks concert. I could go because I had the white stone. You know that meal that you couldn't get into? Where all the very most important people were going to be? I could go there. You know the game you couldn't get into? That you couldn't afford? I had the ticket. I was going to make sure that someday I got the ticket. I was going to have the white stone. I was going to embody everything. I was going to identify myself with Rome so that Rome had to give me the ticket. And this library, this library was going to be my way. It was going to be my pathway to success. I was going to have it. The sword and the power of Rome would be mine to enjoy. So I begin the project. Everything is going really well. The building's coming together. I'm getting all sorts of compliments around town. It's really going well. I began to kind of know what it was like to, to be around the high flyers in Pergamum. And then I realized that you can't have an empty library. So I began to think, how am I going to get scrolls? The best scrolls. How am I going to get the very best information? You might call it books. You see, in my day, we didn't have Google. We couldn't just ask them. We couldn't just say to our cell phone, Siri, what is Pergamum? And so I went about trying to find all of the best scrolls in the empire that I could. Who, who were the people that had these private libraries? Where were they? And would they be willing to partner with Rome would they be willing to, to partner with this great library and donate their books, donate their scrolls to us? Things were going along really well. In fact, one of the contacts that I had, a guy came up and said, hey, I got a guy. I got a guy that you have to get in touch with. 
His name is Theophilus. Uh, He's got a lot of scrolls in his uh, personal library. He may be willing uh, to allow you to have one of his scrolls. Now, I couldn't just call him up like you can today. There was no social media. I couldn't look him up on Facebook, okay? So a couple months passed, and I made sure to get letters to the right people, to send them along with people. And I finally got a letter back from Theophilus. He was willing. He was willing to allow me to put some of his scrolls in my library. I would have to go through his associate, though. His associate? Do you know his name? His associate's name is Luke. So I get in touch with Luke again via some more letters. And Luke says, yeah, 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 no, no problem. Theophilus will let you have some books to put in your new library, but there's, there's one scroll that he wants you to read first. Okay? What is it? I want you to read... Luke's account of the good news of Jesus. I'd heard about this Jesus. Now, I got to be honest with you. I wanted Rome. I wanted power. I'd heard about this Jesus. I wasn't really enthused about reading this good news about Jesus from Luke, but but I wanted the ticket. And I wanted it bad enough that if that was going to be the caveat so that I could put books in my library, well, then I was going to do it. So he sent the scrolls along. I proudly put the other scrolls in my library and I began unrolling this Gospel of Luke. Now, to be honest with you, I wasn't all that interested At first, it might have been like a middle school student being drug along by their parents to church. I was looking at it kind of like, when's this thing going to be over? But there were some things. There were some things that began to grab my attention. Now, we didn't have chapter-verse divisions when I was opening up the scroll. But there were words. Words that struck me to the very core of my being. Words like this from what you know as Luke chapter 12. You see, there's this man, and he was a lot like me. He wanted to have power and might and money. And Jesus. Jesus says this about that man. Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions.
He went on and he said, of this man, God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Wait a minute. What if Jesus was right? What if everything that I'm working for, what if everything that I'm doing, what if I could possess everything? What if I could have the ticket? What if I could have the power of Rome? What if it was nothing? I kept going in the scroll. And then Jesus says this. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep! I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Was Jesus Was Jesus saying that I was a lost sheep? I mean, I'd, I'd grew, grown up in the home of a man who, who made idols for a living. I always thought I was righteous. I thought all the Christians were atheists because they would not buy my dad's idols. And then as I poured through the rest of Luke, as I unrolled the scroll, I came to this last little bit. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away. But when they entered it, they did not find the body of Jesus. They didn't find His body. I had questions. I mean, I needed answers. I mean, I kept trying to ignore it. That's not that big a deal. I've done my duty. Uh, But the words, these words of Jesus from the good news of Luke, I just kept pouring through them over and over again in my head. I, I I couldn't get them out. So finally, I, I sit down and I, I write a letter to Luke. Hey, hey, you need to help me. I got these questions. Who, who is it that I'm really supposed to be? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How are they supposed to identify themselves? He wrote me a letter back. Antipas, he said, I want you to find a church. 
want you to go to church somewhere in your area. I think there's a couple house churches meeting in Pergamum. Why don't you find one? And ask your questions there. Now, I still wasn't really sure about all of this stuff. But I had some questions, and they were nagging me enough that I decided that under the cover of darkness, I would try out one of these. I'd heard some rumors about where these churches uh, might be, so I talked to a few individuals in private now, in secret. I couldn't have anybody really knowing that I was even curious about that, especially my father. So I finally decided that I would go. And there's one night, I, I, I go into this church. Luke had said that they would love to hear the gospel of Luke read. And so I gave it to the reader as I walked in the door. Everything seemed to be pretty normal. That night, the whole gospel was read right there, uh, right there in that meeting. But this group of Christians was kind of weird. Uh, even for me, coming from the outside, uh, this particular group of Christians, it seemed kind of odd to me. Uh, they had idols sitting on their shelf. I, I knew where those idols had come from because I recognized my dad's handiwork. Uh, when Jesus got to the part about the rich man, they began laughing and snickering, saying, Ah, Jesus, he was a nice peasant. I left with more questions than I had answers. This gathering of people who I regularly identified themselves to be Christian had assimilated themselves with the identity of Rome. I mean, they, they loved Jesus in name. They loved His power and His demonstration of miracles. And, and they said they believed in the resurrection. But in the end, they looked just like Rome to me. And I left going, well, how is it that, how is it that the Christians are to identify themselves? What is it that Christians are supposed to look like? Are they supposed to look like are they supposed to have values like? Are they supposed to have convictions like the culture? Or convictions and values like Christ? <laughs> I'll tell you, I didn't go back to church for a long, long time. It was like months and months and months. I put down the scroll of Luke. I, I, I had decided if that's all it is, then I don't need to go. I don't need to worry about it anymore. But it kept nagging at me. It was like I couldn't go to sleep, you know? Like I just couldn't be at peace. Like I would lay my head down on my pillow and, and, and I would wake up kind of in a cold sweat. Like, what's going on with me? I would be at one of the festivals eating one of the best steaks that anybody could have been offered, and I would be thinking about this, this gospel. So I thought, okay, I'm going to give this one last shot. 
fine. I'll, I'll find some other group. I'll, I'll find some other house where, where there's a gathering of Christians. I'll, I'll try and go there. But that's it. I'd met this stone cutter in my building projects. His name was Antonio. Uh, I visited with him on the job site, and I said, Hey, Antonio, is it true that uh, there's, a, there's a church meeting at your house? Yeah, yeah, come on down. So I decided I'd go to Antonio's house. And I come in, and there were all sorts of people The one I most remember was Simon. Simon was a man that used to work for me, but I had let him go because he was old. I didn't figure he could do the work anymore. I knew that he'd probably end up dying on the street, but it wasn't my problem anymore. And there he was. Simon was sitting there. You want to know what awkward feels like. Antonio comes over to me and, and he was serving everybody. He had bread that he was making sure that everyone got to eat that night. And he handed me a, a, a basket full of bread and he said, here, help me serve. I had to take my hands and take the loaves and begin breaking them apart. There were a lot of people there, but I ended up coming around last to Simon. I just kind of ducked my head and handed it to, to him. And there, that night, I recognized the difference. There was this church that knew what it meant to live under the identity of Christ instead of the identity of Rome. So I came back. And they let me ask questions. And I came back again and they let me ask more questions. Five months of that went by. Five months. Until one day, Simon, the man I had fired and left for dead, he lowered me into the waters of baptism until I came out a new man. What was I going to tell my dad? What was I going to tell the people I worked with? What would happen with all of my dreams? What would happen with the ticket that I had so wanted? It was a year later. The Gladiator Games were coming to Pergamum. You know what a gladiator is? Maybe you've seen the movie. 
The gladiator games were coming to Pergamum. And with all of the fanfare, with all of the coverage, there was a suspicion raised about the home of Antonio. It was my church. They were going to take all of the people that they had gathered in Antonio's home and they were going to make them fight the gladiators in the arena. It was a public gathering. And I'd finally figured out that my conviction my commitment, my identity was not in Rome anymore. It was in Christ. I didn't need Rome's ticket. I didn't need the new white stone that Rome could give me. I needed the one that Jesus could give me. I didn't need the sword of life and death that came from Rome. I needed the sword that came from Jesus. I didn't need the stake at the festival anymore. I needed the bread from heaven. And so I stood up and said, Governor, if Rome needs a victim, let me be it. And Antonio's house was saved. But I would be walked into the arena of the gladiators and die. Turn with me in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. If you need, grab a pew Bible in front of you, page 862. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans 
Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it known only to Him who receives it. Church, you will walk from here this morning and you will identify with one or the other. Will you identify with Christ or will you identify with your culture? Let me pray. Gracious God, I thank You for Your goodness, for Your challenges to us, and for your amazing grace. Lord, may it be said of this church, of these people who come and gather, that we are a church whose identity is Christ. Lord, may you help us to long and live for the ticket that only you can give. We love you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.